The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So much for the countdown today. I was waiting for the countdown. I love that 60 <laughs> yeah. seconds of sound from the day that was. Oh, well, maybe tomorrow. Shireen, we're here for today for the next hour. It just gives us more time to talk about the epic game last night between the Ravens and the Browns. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Mike. Good after that Monday night game that was just terrific and sad we don't have a Tuesday night game this week. The thing about last night's game that I think is so valuable to the NFL is that it creates an extra level of excitement heading into the final three weeks of the regular season, which is much needed because, frankly, the Thursday night this game this week yeah. stinks. The Monday night game this week stinks. Maybe it'll stink a little bit less because we'll all be anticipating more moments like those that we saw on Monday night, although I think we could watch Monday Night Football for another 50 years and not see some of the moments that we saw last night. Sims and I spent a lot of time talking about it earlier today. There are some specific things that I would like to delve into from that game, including a question that has been raised. We didn't talk about it very much earlier today. Did the Browns score their touchdown that tied the game with too much time left on the clock? There was 104 still to be played when Kareem Hunt scored on a 22-yard catch and run. And I've seen some who've said, well, the Browns should have taken more time off the clock. Here's my take, Shereen. I don't think when it comes to scoring a touchdown, you can be choosy about when you score. This isn't Madden where you can go down at the two, keep milking the clock, confident that you're eventually going to punch it in. NFL-level defenses, despite the fact that two of them didn't show up last night, by virtue of the fact that 89 points were scored, you still can't presume you're going to score that touchdown. It's one thing if the game is tied or if you're down by one or two where you can milk the clock in anticipation of a field goal once you're in field goal range. Once you're in end zone range, you can't say, I'll wait a few plays for my touchdown to take more time off the clock because you may never get that touchdown. This is a far cry from the deliberate and intentional decision not to score when you're ahead. You never choose not to score when you're behind because that door may not open again. Yeah, you're exactly right, Mike. Field goal, it's a different situation. Touchdown, when you need it, you've got to take it. I mean, we've seen too many instances this year, and frankly forever, that a team gets down to the one-yard line and the other team stops them four times and they get the ball back. If you get the ball back there, the game's over. You have to score that touchdown. And Kevin Stefanski said he didn't expect Kareem Hunt to score on that. It was a little hitch route, and he took it all the way. And you score when you can score. And I know there were a couple out-of-bounds plays before that that stopped the clock, but so be it. You know, at some point, your defense has to make a stop. And in big games, playoff games, everything else, your defense has to make a stop. And the Browns weren't able to do that. They had 11 possessions, the Ravens did, and they scored on seven of them. And they just couldn't get 
the Ravens off the field when they had Lamar Jackson in the lineup. It, it just didn't happen. And they didn't make the stop they needed. That was on the defense. The offense did what it needed to do. It got in the end zone. So be it. We, you go back to that, Mike, that Raiders-Chiefs game earlier this year, and we all knew that the Raiders left too much time on the clock when they scored that touchdown at the end of that game, and Patrick Mahomes was probably going to go down and score. Hey, you score it when you can, and you hope your defense can can make a stop, and they didn't, and last night the Browns didn't either. Yeah, if any of those four plays on that drive that only consumed 47 seconds had yeah. popped for the end zone – you take it to the end zone. You don't take a knee at the one and just assume you're going to be able to score a touchdown and you know take a couple of knees and then on third down finally score the touchdown. Again, this isn't Madden. Anybody who plays Madden knows that that, that is a viable strategy because you can be confident you're going to score if you get the ball first and goal at the one. Not in real life, though, even last night with so many points being scored. The one area where I do have, I think, a fair criticism of the Browns' handling of the clock last night, this was a point that Matt Casey made when we were discussing during one of the breaks this morning about whether or not the criticism of the Browns' decision to score the touchdown is valid. When the Ravens made their last play and there were 18 seconds on the clock when the play ended and they lined up and spiked it with seven seconds left, the Browns still had two timeouts. And you could argue the Browns should have taken a timeout with 18 seconds left on the clock just to force the Ravens to decide, do they kick the field goal from there or do they run the risk of running one more play, lining up, getting everyone in position, no false start, and getting a spike where the ball's a little bit closer to the end zone. Or maybe you wait till 15 to call the timeout. Something where you catch the other team in a bind where they don't know what to do. Do we run one more play? Do we kick the field goal? And then the other team has a few more seconds left. Look, would it have made a difference if the kickoff would have come with 13 seconds instead of two seconds? Probably not. But 11 more seconds is still 11 more seconds. So you always want to have more time if you get the opportunity to have more time. The, the Ravens weren't going to screw it up in that spot. They had more than enough time to line up and spike it. So that, I think, is a much more valid criticism than saying they shouldn't have scored the touchdown. They should have used those timeouts to, to have either more time after the field goal or put the Ravens in a dilemma that, that maybe they would have screwed up. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. I'm with you on that. They had a chance there to call the timeout. I get why they didn't. I absolutely get why they didn't. They made the Ravens hurry up. I, I get all that. I understand why they didn't do it. But, hey, you know what? The Ravens have the best kicker in football and Justin Tucker. Just like we, I went back to that Raiders-Chiefs game, we knew Patrick Mahomes was going to drive the Chiefs down and, and score at the end to win it. You knew Justin Tucker was going to make that kick. I don't care how far it was. It was 55 yards. I don't care. He was going to make that kick however far it was. You had to keep them at a field goal range, probably 10 yards farther back than what they did, and they just weren't able to do that. They weren't able to come up with the play that they needed there at the end. And, and I do have some questions about that Browns defense going into the playoffs just because they can't seem to get those stops that they need when they need them. 
I have a question about every defense going into the playoffs, frankly. We yeah. talked about that Sunday night in, in the digital segment that we do after halftime. Uh, the question was, which NFL defense do you trust the most? And I said, none of them. I don't trust any of them. And look, I have no problem with that. One of the points we made earlier today, it's not arena football. It, there isn't a presumption you're going to score on every drive, and it's a surprise if you stop the other team. So I like the scoring. I like the excitement. I like a game like last night. And there is enough defense in the game. Awesome that it isn't constant, constant scoring like basketball, up and down the court. That gets boring. But uh, defensively, there really isn't a dominant unit right now that you can count on to make those stops. And look, the Ravens, uh, all they had to do was get in field goal range, like you said, and Justin Tucker was going to make it, and the Browns needed to make a play. We've seen that that last drive many times where there's an interception thrown, there's a strip sack. It's not automatic to get yourself into field goal range, but the Ravens were on a mission last night because they knew that their playoff fate was riding on that game. That's one of the comments that Lamar Jackson had afterward to Lisa Salters of ESPN when he explained why he came back. This is it. Win or go home. You have those teams every year that are in playoff mode. You have to win or you're done. And they would have been, for all practical purposes, done. And now they're very much alive. At 8-5, and five, technically on the outside looking in, in the 8th spot in the AFC, but matching the record of the Miami Dolphins. So one false move by the Dolphins, the Ravens can swoop in. They have to run the table. They have to hope for a little bit of help. The Browns are in great shape, though, Shireen. And even though the Browns lost last night and Browns fans are upset today, look, they're going to be fine. They're going to be a tough out in the postseason. And I, I know that Kevin Stefanski said there were no moral victories, but I, I would be glass half full today if I was a Browns fan, without question. Agree with you. And the way Baker Mayfield's played over the last two weeks, I think it's very encouraging for the Browns and their fans because I think he has taken a step. And I do think not having Odell Beckham in the lineup has helped that offense. They've run the ball like they've needed to run the ball because they are very good at running the ball. They have 2,000-yard backs, one of them a former a rushing champion and the other one who finished second last year to Derrick Henry. So they're very good at running the ball and they've done what they've needed to do in the passing game, made the plays when they needed to make them and Baker's really spread the ball around. So I think that's the most encouraging thing for the Browns is really how that offense is playing and how Baker in my mind has taken a step forward. I know he threw the interception last night, but I really do think he's taken a step forward. And I think he did enough last night, Mike, to win that game. He did everything he possibly could to, to get that will that team to victory and they just didn't get there. But to me, I'm with you. Glass is half full today, not half empty. Yeah, and and uh, I feel far differently about the Browns today than I did just nine days ago before kickoff of their game against the Titans. They beat the Titans handily, even though the final score was closer than the the game would have suggested, and they played the Ravens as tough as they could. They gave them everything they could handle. They came back from 14 points down, and they almost pulled it off. Going into the postseason, they will be riding a wave of positive momentum assuming that they can can finish the job now and they should be able to finish the job and get in as the five seed at at worst the six seed at very worst the seven seed but they are I believe getting in the Saints already are in and there's an interesting question about the future of the quarterback position after Drew Brees we have assumed that it will be Taysom Hill based upon what we've seen from Taysom Hill, even with a not great game on Sunday against the Eagles, because let's face it, not every quarterback is great every single week. We still assume that Taysom Hill will be the starter. Sean Payton recently addressed this. I believe this was on the Huddle and Flow 
podcast, we do not have the sound. Okay, apparently, and I'm going to paraphrase, I don't have the whole context, but what Peyton said is that Jameis Winston is going to have the opportunity to start the minute that that Drew Brees leaves. That is confusing to me because, first of all, Winston's only under contract for one year. And we don't know that uh, Brees has definitely gone after this year. And even if Brees is gone, you have to re-sign Winston before he can compete to be the starter. You know, I feel like at a certain level, this is an effort to ensure that both Hill and Winston decide to stick around. We saw Teddy Bridgewater stick around for a couple of years. They still need to have a backup, a quality backup behind Taysom Hill if he's the starter. And uh, maybe they can convince Jameis Winston to stay thinking that he will have a chance and maybe he will have a chance to compete to be the starter. So I just think all of that's premature, but I can see why Sean Payton would want to keep Jameis Winston around because he's shown he can be a good quarterback and you need a backup to Taysom Hill if Taysom Hill is the guy, Shereen. And absolutely, Mike, nothing has changed for Jameis Winston between the end of last season and right now. I mean, he's only played three games. He's 7 of 11 for 75 yards. Does that convince a team that, hey, he's going to be our starting quarterback next season? I don't think it convinces anyone other than Saints who have seen him day after day after day in practice. Those 30 interceptions still linger and and are going to be attached to him going forward. And I don't know if a team is going to be willing to roll the dice on that and commit money to Jameis as their starter, knowing that he threw those 30 interceptions last season. But he also threw for 5,000 yards last year. And I, and I know that Sean Payton sees that, and he's seen him in practice every day. And if he likes Jameis Winston, he's going to talk him into coming back, just like he talked Teddy Bridgewater into coming back. It worked out great for Teddy Bridgewater, and that's what Sean, I'm sure, is going to tell Jameis, look, this worked out perfectly for him. He came at, back and backed up, and, and if Breeze retires, you'll have a chance to start and play. And then a year from now, you can go and be a starting quarterback somewhere else if that happens or be our starting quarterback going forward if it works out here. But I do see Jameis Winston going back to the Saints because I think that's the best move for both teams. But Sean Payton is one of the rare coaches in this league, Mike, who really plans ahead. Maybe that's not the right term to use, but I like the way he does the quarterback position. He always has a veteran back there that he really trusts behind Drew Brees. He has a starter and then he has his backup who's really good that can come in and win games. And then he usually has a third guy that can come in and win games too. And it's the only team I can think of that has those three quarterbacks and all three of them can win games for you. And he's shown that year after year after year when Breeze has gone out of the lineup, they continue to win games. What are they now? They're now eight and one over the last two years without Drew Breeze at quarterback. This is a team that will compete again next year, no matter who the quarterback is. All the more reason to have a great backup, too. We've seen how Taysom Hill plays. Taysom Hill plays hard. Taysom Hill could get injured, and you need to have somebody who's ready to go. Drew Brees got injured, and he doesn't play with the level of aggression and uh, physicality that we see from Taysom Hill on a continuous basis. So they're going to need to be ready in that regard. There's no reason to close doors, especially now. You close doors on guys in the offseason. You don't close guys on doors on guys who are on your roster during this season. And for now, Winston, surely a viable candidate for the future. Regardless of whatever plan Sean Payton has, what else is he going to say? No. 
that that wouldn't that wouldn't go over well for the guy that you <laughs> yeah. still may need to come in and play at some point before the end of the season. All right, Matthew Stafford may be one of the quarterbacks available when 2021 rolls around. He was the first overall pick in the 2009 draft. He's been a great quarterback. They've never won a playoff game under Matthew Stafford. The curse of Bobby Lane has extended from 50 years to 60 years. <laughs> Do you think we've seen the last of Stafford? He had the rib injury. We expect that maybe he'll – I fully expect him to pop up on the injury report this week. Maybe he won't play. Do you think he'll be back next year with the Lions? I, you know, I think it depends on who they hire as head coach, Mike, and it puts them in a quandary at the quarterback position if they don't bring him back. I could see him coming back maybe as a bridge quarterback for, for one more year to kind of groom that guy, but Lions, frankly, missed their opportunity to draft a quarterback, and that was last year when they had the number three overall pick, and they passed on Justin Herbert, and they passed on Tua, uh, and said, you know, Matthew Stafford's our quarterback, and we're going to go win with him, and it hasn't worked out in Detroit at all like they expected him when they made him the number one overall pick and I realize he's only 33 he'll turn 33 in February I get that he's got two years left on his deal I think he could use a fresh start and I think the Lions could use a fresh start but who's their quarterback they're not going to be drafting high enough to get one of those top two guys so do you wait and get you know the BYU quarterback or the North Dakota State quarterback or one of those guys I don't know. It depends on what they think of him and the coach thinks of him. But I think both of them, the Lions and Matthew Stafford, could use a new start. It's amazing that he's lasted there as long as he has. He got the huge contract back two years before the rookie wage scale dramatically restricted with the first overall pick gets. That was replaced at least twice with significant relative market value deals. His latest deal pays $27 million per year. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Will they trade him? Will they cut him? Will they keep him? First, you have to hire a GM and a coach, and then they have to decide what to do. And there's also an argument to be made, and this gets into the ultra-cynical world of coaching job security. It's a very real dynamic, though, Shireen. The idea that if we keep Stafford for one more year, we kind of get a redshirt scholarship year because we're not going to get fired after one season if Stafford stinks. And then we can decide next year who our quarterback is going to be just in case it works, just in case it clicks. The one thing you don't want to do is unload Stafford and have Stafford go somewhere else and finally become a superstar. And that's absolutely what could happen, Mike. You look at a team like the Colts that picked up Phillip Rivers this year and look what they're doing. They've got a really good team. You have, he goes to a really good team. I think they have a chance to win. And we will see how it all plays out when we return. Week 14 awards time. MDS will join us. We'll be back with that right after this on PFTPM. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance. Jewelry luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. 
it probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to PFTPM. We have been doing this every Tuesday all season long, and it really is amazing. We are already looking at week number 14. Back in the old days when Shireen and I discovered the NFL, that was it. Week 14, it was done. Season was over. Show isn't over, though. Stick with us, even though the PFTPM graphic is up. I assume that the show continues. Here we are. We're back. But Shireen, (laughs) remember those days when it was just 14 weeks and that was it? We went straight to the playoffs and there was no wild card round. There were divisional round and conference championship, and they usually played the Super Bowl not very long after the first of the year. But we still have three more weeks of the regular season. And before we get to week 15, we have to hand out the week 15 or week 14, excuse me, awards. MDS joins us now. Let's do it like we always do. Offensive, defensive, rookie and coach of the week. MDS, you're up first with the offensive player of the week. Well, I'm going with Lamar Jackson, who just had such an outstanding game on Monday night. He had a double-triple, my favorite stat, more than 100 yards, both rushing and passing. He had that great moment when he went straight from the locker room to the field and threw a touchdown pass, and he looked more like the MVP we saw last year than he had looked for most of this year when he has struggled at times. This year's Ravens team has not been as good as last year's Ravens team, Lamar Jackson and others included. But I still think they're going to go to the playoffs, and I think they're going to be a tough team to beat if Lamar Jackson plays like he did last night. Completely agree with you, MDS. He was excellent. Second 100-yard rushing game of the season. I went with Travis Kelsey. I just felt like it was time we gave Travis Kelsey some love. We haven't given him an award this year, and he leads the NFL in receiving yards. And we know a tight end has never done that. He's got a chance actually to break a – uh, several tight end awards uh, records, including yards and catches and, and everything else. It's going to take quite a bit to do it uh, the rest of the season. But on a day that Patrick Mahomes didn't have his best day with three interceptions, I thought Travis Kelsey had his best day. Eight catches, 136 yards, and a touchdown. The last two, two weeks, he's caught exactly 136 yards. So you might roll the dice and bet for three weeks in a row, 136 yards. But five of the last six weeks, he's over 100 yards and really playing at a high level. I think on the all-pro team, he's a lock for tight end for that team. He's played terrific this season and played terrific on Sunday. And he's got Hall of Fame credentials the way he's played the last several years. It helps to have Patrick Mahomes. But this is what we see in every generation. There's a dominant team. And what happens? A bunch of those guys end up in the Hall of Fame after they get their statistics, their awards, and ultimately their Super Bowl rings. And they very well may be getting a second one this year. Kelsey could be the first tight end in league history to lead the league in receiving yards. That was an idea that MDS planted last week. We looked it up. We confirmed it. And indeed, he's on track to do it. And uh, maybe he ultimately will. My player of the week is a guy who has a chance And the only guy who would have the chance to pull this off is Derrick Henry over the final three weeks. If he has three Derrick Henry games, we could see him go from 1532 
to 2105. And wouldn't that be something? He needs 191 yards in each of the last three games on average to get to 2105. And 191 sounds incredibly unrealistic and improbable for anyone but Derrick Henry. We consider the teams they're playing. He has the chance to do it, and he's going to be aware of it, and the Titans need him. The only question is, will they curtail his workload in anticipation of the postseason or just let him go for it? And uh, I would try to find a way to keep him fresh and keep him safe and, and be relatively careful, but... You know, when he busts through the line and runs for 60 yards, it's not like he's going to go down halfway through. So if he can play like he's been playing, he has a chance to do it. For now, he's my offensive player of the week. And I hope, I hope, especially because he's plus 10,000 from an odds-making perspective to win the league MVP award, I hope he does it. And I hope there's someone out there that's put 100 bucks on Derrick Henry to win the MVP because that would be the ultimate disruption of this Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers presumption of the league MVP award. All right, Defensive Player of the Week, MDS, who do you have? Well, I have a guy who some people talked about as a long-shot MVP candidate when he first arrived in Chicago and made such a huge impact. And I'm talking about Khalil Mack. And, you know, this year in Chicago – There's been some talk that he's not playing at that level. Maybe it's because he's been on the injury report a lot. Maybe uh, he's not as good when he's not in Vic Fangio's defense as he was in his first year with the Bears. But he had a great game on Sunday. He did a little bit of everything. He had a sack. He had a safety. He had a forced fumble. He had a fumble recovery. He deflected a pass. uh, He had a tackle for loss. He, He just was doing it all. And he was that kind of player that the Bears really need him to be if they can justify what they gave up to get him and how much they're paying him. They need him to play at that level. If he has a future in Chicago and if Chicago is going to turn things around, that's the Khalil Mack that they need to see. And I thought he turned in one of his very best games as a bear in that big win over the Texans. He sure did, MDS, and I took the easy way out. I picked Hassan Reddick, of course, with the five sacks and the three forced fumbles. He had seven pressures on 22 pass rushing attempts, so just an outstanding game from Reddick. And it was probably the best pass rushing game that we've seen since Adrian Claiborne had those six sacks against the Cowboys in 2017. And Chaz Green, that's probably the last that that we've seen of him uh, in a backup role. I know he's kind of getting maybe some starts elsewhere, but he's not played very well since then, and and I think that probably ruined Chaz Green. But seven is a record. Derek Thomas, he didn't quite get there, but it was an outstanding performance by Hassan Reddick on Sunday. And Reddick didn't just abuse one guy. He had three different people he beat to get to five. He didn't even know he had five until the end of the game. He never had more than two in any – football game at any level of his entire football career. For me, it's it's easy. It's Aaron Donald. Just It's Aaron Donald every week. They, they need to every name week. the Defensive Player of the Week yes. award after Aaron Donald. He had a sack and a half. He has the lead with 12 and a half this year. And the quote from Sean McVay, and I think MDSU wrote the story about it, that on the pick six that the Rams had, it was Aaron Donald out in front leading the way to block for the touchdown. So he can do it all. He is incredible. He should be, without question, the defensive player of the year in 2020. And he could be the defensive player of the week each and every week. And one of the reasons why the Rams are 9-4 and four and still have a chance to take the one seed in the NFC. All right, rookie of the week time. MDS, who do you have? Well, I have, I think, the obvious choice, and that's Jalen Hurts. 
Like Lamar Jackson, he had a double, triple, over 100 yards, both rushing and passing. And, you know, he was just so much better than Carson Wentz has been that it's hard not to question what the Eagles were thinking, waiting so long to make the switch at quarterback. I think with Hurts, the Eagles are pretty clearly the best team in the NFC East. I think we're going to find that they turned to Hurts too little, too late for them to, to catch Washington and the Giants in the division. But if they somehow get into the playoffs with Jalen Hurts, I wouldn't want to be the wild card team that's going to Philadelphia because that would be a tough and intriguing game, especially early on when defensive coordinators haven't had a lot of time to look at Jalen Hurts, prepare for him. I think he could really do some damage if the Eagles get to the playoffs, but I think they're going to end up falling short. MDS, I went with the obvious choice on the defensive side of the ball and a team that may end up winning that in NFC East, and that's uh, Chase Young. He's finally starting to play like the guy that, that Washington thought they were getting with that uh, high pick, and he's really playing well. But, you know, Washington didn't score any offensive touchdowns. They scored two on defense, and he had one of those. And second-round uh, safety Cameron Curl had the other one, but – Young finished up with a sack, a forced fumble, a deflected pass, and that 47-yard fumble return. And I think that he's put himself firmly in that conversation for Defensive Rookie of the Year just by what he's done over the last few weeks. Didn't start out as great as as he wanted or the team wanted, but, boy, he's really turned it on now. We see why he was such a high pick. And Week 17, we get to see Jalen Hurts being chased around by Chase Young as those two teams get together. And there's a chance that if if the Eagles can get some help, if they can win some games, that game could decide the NFC East championship and very likely would be the final game of the regular season on NBC Week 17. For me, it's Tua Tagovailoa, even though the Dolphins lost for two reasons. First of all, there really wasn't any other rookie to give the award to <laughs> this week. I checked and checked and checked and checked. And secondly... When I spoke to Patrick Mahomes after the Chiefs beat the Dolphins on Sunday, I I asked him about his conversations with Tua. They share an agent, so they have that relationship. And what Patrick Mahomes said is that he was impressed that Tua, when the Dolphins fell way behind, didn't try to do too much in any one moment to make the game closer than it otherwise was would have been and he was patient he stayed with it Mahomes said when I was a young quarterback I wouldn't have been that patient but he was very impressed by the fact that Tua didn't freak out and he believes that that will serve Tua Tonga-Vailoa well in the future so he's my rookie of the week and again in part because there was no one else to pick you guys squatted on the best two coach of the week a little bit easier more than enough to go around this week MDS who do you have I have Colts coach Frank Reich, who has Philip Rivers playing better football than I think people realize. I, I don't know if we've talked enough about what a good season Philip Rivers is having at the age of 39 on a new team. And I think you have to give Frank Reich a lot of credit for that. I think if you look at how well the Colts have played since hiring Frank Reich and how much the Eagles offense has declined since the departure of Frank Reich, I really think that he has to get a lot of credit as one of the best offensive coaches in football, both as the Eagles offensive coordinator when they won the Super Bowl, as the Colts head coach since then. You know, a a lot could have gone wrong with this Colts team from last year when Andrew Luck retired to this year 
when they got Philip Rivers, who some people thought was washed up, and, and yet Frank Reich just has them playing good, solid football. I really like the job that he has done, and I think the Colts are another one of these teams who they're not the ones we talk about first when we talk about Super Bowl contenders, but I wouldn't want to have to face them in January. I think they're going to be a tough team to beat. MDS, another guy that, that has done a terrific job is Sean McDermott with Buffalo. And the, the, the job he came in there and turned that team around and really has them playing at a high level, a team that, as you said, you wouldn't want to play in the postseason. I think they're one of those teams that you wouldn't want to play. He's just done a masterful job. And, you know, they talked the talk in the offseason. They talked about Tom Brady being gone and, hey, we're going to go out. The division's up for grabs. We think it's ours. They've backed that up this season and really played well. Uh, and, and I think Josh Allen has played at a high level and really been a difference maker uh, for that team. So I think Sean McDermott deserves a lot of credit for that. I think Coach of the Year is going to be really tough to figure out who that Coach of the Year is. But I think both of these guys that we've mentioned, Frank Reich and Sean McDermott, at least deserve to be candidates for that job, for that award. I think Kevin, Kevin Stefanski, I think, is the winner given what yeah. the Browns have done this year. I think it's going to be hard to take it from him. And on Frank Reich, MDS, it is amazing to think of what could happen in the offseason, these these rumblings of Carson Wentz to Indy continue to grow, and that could maybe take the Colts back to the level they were at if Carson Wentz really benefits from a reboot the way that we think he could, could take them back to where they were when they had Andrew Luck, potentially. For me, it's Cliff Kingsbury. Very simple reason. The Cardinals were up against the wall. They'd lost three in a row and four out of five, and it would have been five in a row, but for the Hail Murray play. And Kingsbury needed a light of fire under this team, crossing the country, playing a Giants team that was in first place and on a hot streak. And to go in there and bully the Giants the way they did. And Hassan Reddick told me after the game that they were spirited all week in practice. That comes back to the coach. You know, if, if Sean Payton's going to say it's on me for not having my team ready to go, then credit to K Cliff Kingsbury for having his team ready to go and prepared to win that game and turn it around and get themselves back into the playoff conversation. MDS, thanks as always. We'll be back with a Week 14 rewatch. Steelers at Bills when PFTPM continues right after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The bottom line is they were the more physical football team. 
Um, it could be highlighted in terms of their front and our inability to, to run the ball. But just in general, I, I thought in all elements of, of play, they were the more physical group. Buffalo Bills are doing what great teams need to do in December. They're playing well and winning games. The Pittsburgh Steelers, who were 11-0 before December, not technically. I think one of those games was in December, thanks to the whole delay of the of the Week 12 game against the Ravens. But for the games that were supposed to be played in December, they're 0-2, Shireen. That's not what you want to do as you're trying to get yourself ready for the postseason. We did a rewatch of that Steelers-Bills game. It was a tough one to pick. It was too close to call. But the Bills, based upon their recent performances, looked like they would emerge victorious. And eventually, they did, even though for a while the game was in dispute let's uh focus on some of the aspects of that game we both went back and watched it via the excellent nfl game pass feature shireen after taking a closer look at the sunday night game from week 14 who was the best player on the field well i i think it was stefan diggs i mean he had 14 targets 10 catches 130 yards and a touch and i just thought he was dominant and you know he's third in the nfl now with 1167 yards he has 100 catches he has five touchdowns and mike I think this is one of the rare times that a trade has worked out for both teams perfectly. And I don't think either team would change what's happened. When you look at Justin Jefferson and what he's done for Minnesota, 65 catches, over 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns, they've replaced him nicely. But the Bills wouldn't give up digs at this point, even to get Jefferson. And I just think... It was a great trade for both teams. Diggs has played great. And you know when he when he played most great was the second half. He didn't have a big first half. He had three catches and didn't do a whole lot. Second half, he had seven catches for 92 yards and a touchdown. I thought he was a real difference maker in the second half against a really good defense. I think the Bills would be crazy to not do a straight-up deal for Justin Jefferson for Diggs right now if they could. I mean, at the time the deal was done, we didn't know what the first round was going to bear. We didn't know how these receivers were going to work out. That's part of the risk you take when you get the lottery ticket and you begin to scratch it with the edge of the quarter, right? For the Vikings, it worked, but it's a hell of a risk because for every Justin Jefferson, they've got a Troy Williamson in their history of drafting first-round receivers. <laughs> Laquan Treadwell stunk. Treadwell. Percy Harvin was good for a while. Randy Moss was great. It's worked out Patterson. so far for Justin Jefferson. And, I, yeah, Cordell Patterson, was it was, it was a mixed bag, and, and he ended up being better elsewhere, frankly, than he ever was in Minnesota. But Jefferson has been phenomenal. I, 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 if I was the Vikings, would definitely not trade Justin Jefferson for Stephon Diggs straight up. And if I was the Bills, I would jump on that in a heartbeat. But, but for what the Bills are currently trying to do, which is supply Josh Allen with weapons, and they didn't have enough weapons, this is what you do. This is the sure thing. Because if they had used their first-round pick on a receiver, there's no guarantee the guy's going to step in and be good. Always go for the sure thing when you're trying to build something. So it is a win-win. And uh, and Diggs has been great, and he's helped make Josh Allen better. And so, look, long term, the Vikings are better off with Justin Jefferson. They're paying him a lot, a lot less over the next few years, and they're going to have him a lot longer. But for what the Bills are trying to build, this was the right move. And, and yes, Diggs proved it on Sunday night with 10 catches for 130 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and it came at a moment where it just felt like the Bills – were asserting themselves in the game where it was still kind of up in the air and they had that drive and it, it was capped in the third quarter with a touchdown by Diggs. And it's like, okay, the, the Bills are winning this game. You just get this, you just feel it at that point. Yeah. The Bills are winning this game. For me, the best player was Josh Allen. And even though he wasn't as spectacular as he was 
the prior week. That's a bar that you're not going to match each and every week. He has the mobility. He has the arm strength. He has the accuracy to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, in the first half, it wasn't great. It stepped up in the second half when they pulled away. Look at that, 14 for 20, 70% completion percentage in the second half, 162 yards, 11 rush yards, and two touchdowns. And the interception, that was a fluky, weird volleyball bump set spike type of a play that, you know, it happens. And it goes on the quarterback statistic when it happens, but it's a fluke. So it's not like he made a horrible throw. It's not like he made a lot of horrible throws. He didn't make many horrible throws. His completion percentage first half wasn't great. The Steelers' defense stepped up. The Steelers' defense was better, I think, much better in the first half than the second half. But but the Bills stuck with it. And uh, and credit to them for sticking with it and not, not you know, realizing in the first half, hey, this week isn't going to be as easy as last week. They still found that, that ability to get to the level they needed to get to to win the game. All right, next category from our rewatch, Shireen. Who was better on further inspection than it seemed when we watched the game live on Sunday night. Well, I thought it was Tyson Alulu, and you know he—he's a guy who's kind of forgotten in that front because they have all those name players, including T.J. Watt and Cameron Hayward, and we know all the names of of the Gatuit. All those guys make all the plays, but this guy just does all the dirty work, and and he always shows up every time I watch a Steelers game. He's doing something. And he had the only sack of the game. That that was really the most amazing part. I didn't realize they only had one sack in that game because usually you see the Steelers getting multiple sacks in every game, and they didn't do it. They didn't get to the quarterback, which is part of the reason they, they lost, frankly. But he had the only sack to keep that 70-game streak going of, of a sack and, and break the so-called record. I know there's a dispute on really what the record is, but the NFL claims it's a 70-game streak record. And so he kept that going with the one sack that they had. And within those 70 games, they've had 237 sacks by 29 different players. But if it wasn't for his sack, that streak would be over at this point. And I thought he played really well in that game. Uh, For me, it's Juju Smith-Schuster, who has kind of become forgotten and overlooked in Pittsburgh, even though he consistently shows up and performs well. He's had a strange career arc. Second season in the league, he has 111 catches, 1,426 yards. He's voted the team MVP. That decision and the timing of the announcement was the catalyst for Antonio Brown storming out of Pittsburgh, never to return. Last year, they tried to craft him, almost will him into being a number one receiver. The only problem is he doesn't have the speed to stretch the field. And I remember seeing the quote in the offseason last year that he's working on, you know, beating people deep. It's not something that you work on. You either have the ability to beat people deep or you don't. You don't go out and get faster. Yeah, you can find a way to get the absolute most out of your God-given ability when it comes to running in a straight line and making cuts and moving. But there are actual limitations on what you can do. He was never going to be a number one guy who draws double coverage all the time. Last year was disappointing, also because they didn't have Ben Roethlisberger for most of the year. This year, he's settling into a role, which is possession receiver, guy you can count on, tough. He had that that play in the second half where he just bowled over one of the Bills' defensive backs. He's a guy that Ben Roethlisberger needs to be looking to, also because, unlike Deontay Johnson or Eric Ebron, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster catches the ball when you throw it to him. So uh, he, he's quietly having a great year. He's on pace for 97 catches, and, and he's a guy that I think they just need to keep throwing the ball to 
because he's got that mentality. He's got that Heinz Ward mentality that the Steelers need if they want to uh, to get this thing back on track. They need to rediscover the toughness that we used to know from Pittsburgh Steelers teams if they're going to perform in January like the Steelers once did. All right, give me someone who had a game, Shereen, they would like to forget. Well, you alluded to it, Mike, and I think it's the obvious choice, right? Deontay Johnson. And, and maybe, you know, the very first play, he drops a pass. And maybe that game goes differently if he catches that. And they come back, they go three and out, and they come back on the second series, and he drops another pass. I mean, he's wide open on both of those, and no telling how far he would have gone on either one and or both of those passes. And it wasn't like they were difficult catches. They were right there for him to catch and go. He ended up with four catches for 40 yards, but he's most remembered for those two drops that got him a seat on the bench for the rest of the first half, which is what Mike Tomlin said he was going to do if they kept dropping passes. And then we saw Eric Ebron drop one later on. But he has got to figure out how to hold on to the football. He is uh, tops the league, and I know drop passes are kind of a, a random stat that who knows if it's really true, but most places you'll look, including NBC Sports, have him atop the drop passes list with nine. So we certainly know he has a bunch. It seems like it's even more than that. But he's got to figure out a way to hold on the ball, Mike. If, if the Steelers are going to do what they need to do, they got to be able to run the ball. They also have to catch it when Ben Roethlisberger puts it right in their arms. Well, especially with the high-tech gloves that they have. And I remember there was a story a few yeah. years ago when Rich McKay, the chair of the competition committee, was suggesting they were going to take a look at making those gloves a little less effective. It's like, nah, that's not quite the idea. You want guys to be able to make the one-handed catch. We don't want to make the gloves less effective. It makes the game more exciting. But when guys are dropping the football, the fact that they have these awesome gloves where you just stick your hand out and it's like Velcro and anything that comes across it is going to stick to it and you drop those, that really shows a lack of of concentration so I agree with you Deontay Johnson has to step it up it gets in your head he's trying to run with the ball before he secures it there are plenty of receivers who can do that though that's not an excuse we see it all the time guys make the catch while they're moving with the football they don't break stride they don't stop everything they're doing to make the catch so uh he just has to work at it and work at it and work at it and work at it, but then not let it get into his head for me the guy who had a game that he should want to forget is Randy Fickner, the offensive coordinator. And the fact that we really don't know how to properly pronounce his name shows he doesn't get enough scrutiny, <laughs> right? If if he was getting yeah. the scrutiny he deserves, we would all know exactly. Is it Fickner? Is it Feichner? Is it Fickner? I think it's Fickner, but I don't know because he doesn't get scrutinized the way that he should. It's amazing to me that this guy preserves anonymity when he's in charge of the offense for a defensive-minded coach and the offense has completely lost its way. They don't have a commitment to the running game. They aren't throwing the ball down the field the way they should. So many of these passes are short, and as Chris Sims says, they are predictable in their predictableness. That is his phrase, not mine. And it's on the offensive coordinator to get it under control. And if this is some sort of a weird power struggle where Ben Roethlisberger is asserting himself and being passive-aggressive and changing plays at the line of scrimmage, it's on the coordinator to have the kind of relationship with the quarterback to get the quarterback to do what the coaching staff wants him to do. One of the risks you take when you pay one player a ton of money, you give him a ton of power. And if he decides he wants to basically launch a mutiny in a quiet sort of way, he can 
and there ain't a damn thing the team can do about it. And it's incumbent on the offensive coordinator to get it under control, rediscover the run, and find a way to get the passing game to work. And it's all on him. It's ultimately on Mike Tomlin. But within the organization, it's on Randy Fickner. And with each one of these performances where we say, where's the running game? Why are guys dropping passes? Why aren't they more effective? It all goes back to him, or at least it should, Shereen. Absolutely, Mike, and he's got to do a better job. And Ben Roethlisberger, frankly, has got to do a better job. And I saw some rumblings out there that is Ben's knee hurt. You remember back at the Dallas game, he took those hits on the knee and left for the locker room early and all of that. Hey, he's not on the injury report. If you're not on the injury report, everybody's banged up at this time of year. you got to go play, and you got to make the plays. And, and the Steelers haven't done that the last two weeks on offense. They scored two touchdowns on Sunday night, and one of those was set up on a short field with the turnover. Well, and and the moment that the game turned and it felt like the Bills yes. were going to find their way out of this mess was the play that you picked for further scrutiny, although we don't have time to really break it down. It was simple. Roethlisberger threw a ball he shouldn't have. It was intercepted. It was returned for a touchdown. The guy was shot out of a cannon. And that was the moment where it's like, okay, the, the Steelers aren't going to find a way to take this one from Buffalo. Buffalo's going to assert themselves and win the game. Yeah, they were up 7-3 at that point, and then they go down, they miss the extra point, so they're up 9-7 at the half. That was a huge turning point, and Tomlin said it was the significant play of the game, and it was. It was the absolute difference maker. You don't make that play, stare down the receiver, throw the interception. If they don't do that, maybe they win it. Who knows? Maybe the second half goes differently, but Ben Roethlisberger stared the receiver down. They made the pick, and, and it went Buffalo's way. And, and it's, you know, so many times, Mike, it comes down to one play, and that was the one play. You know, every Tuesday we post power rankings at profootballtalk.com. We usually talk about them on Wednesday on PFT Live, but we're going to talk about them a little bit coming up to wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFTPM. We'll be back with that right after this. All right, week 15 power rankings, PFT style. We post them every Tuesday morning, sometimes early afternoon. Depends upon what else we have going on, Shireen. But uh, let's talk about today's uh, eventually, once we see them. We will show them to you. We're trying to build the suspense. Drum roll, please. And there it is. The sheet is removed from the power rankings. The Chiefs still number one. I've made the Bills number two, the Packers three. Saints fall from two to four. Steelers fall from three to five. And then there are the Rams at number six. Let's focus on the top five, though. Shereen, we've asked you to put together your own top five. So uh, my top five versus your top five. How does yours look? Yeah, well, I vote in the AP Power Poll, and you may spend way more time than I do doing it. But it is a fun exercise. There's no question about that. And I think we both agree that the, the Chiefs are there at the top. And then I have the Packers number two, the Bills number three, the Saints number four. And I have the Rams over the Steelers. And we kind of flip-flopped a, a couple of those. Um, but, we're, but we're pretty close, I think, Mike, on what we'd agree. I, I want to know this from you. How many of those teams – or maybe there's more than that, but how many of those teams do you truly think have a chance to win the Super Bowl? To win the Super Bowl? To win Yet the Super Bowl. Yet there is one thing. To win it? Right. To, uh, yeah. uh, 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 um, hmm. 
<laughs> one. Stop, <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> one, the Chiefs. Um, I, yes. I, I just think that I just think that that uh, you know we've seen how the Chiefs are so good at overcoming adversity, whatever it may yeah. be. Give the other team a ten point lead, no big deal. Give them a twenty point lead, no big deal. And I think they're going to be ready to go no matter what happens. And the one seed is theirs. And they're so nonchalant about it. Mahomes told me over the weekend, I said, how important is the one seed? Not really. We don't care. We'll play whenever we have to play. Yeah, we'd like to have the week off, but we don't care. And, and there's just that quiet confidence that I think infects the other team in any game that you play. Because you know at some point it's coming. No matter how many points you score, it's coming. So I, I don't have a whole lot of faith. You know, and we did early in the season this proposition of the Chiefs versus the field, and I always take the field. Right now, Chiefs versus the field for the Super Bowl championship, I'd take the Chiefs. Taking the Chiefs. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Mike. And you know what I think is different from them last year? I think their defense is better than than what it was last year. They're making more plays. They have more playmakers on that side of the ball. I really like their defense. And I'm with you. I I just think it's going to be really hard to beat them, especially in Kansas City. I know it won't be a – full stadium I get that but it's still going to be hard to win in Kansas City but it doesn't matter where they play they have the team record winning streak on the road they you know they just don't this is just a team that that doesn't lose they just don't lose much and they can always find a way to win whatever it takes Patrick Mahomes throws three interceptions oh well we'll go out and beat you a different way and they do that so, but I would love to see a team like the like the Packers or the Saints get to the Super Bowl. Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, just to see if they can air it out. And we can have a game like we had last night that that's a really high score and fun game to watch. Last team with the ball wins, and you better not give Patrick Mahomes very much time on that last drive. All right, let's focus on teams for the NFC that we think can actually get there. You've mentioned the Packers and the Saints. My concern about the Packers is they are prone to lapse, and one of those two playoff games, if they get the one seed, you never know when they're going to show up flat. We're going to hear Aaron Rodgers afterwards saying, we didn't have energy today, I don't know why, but it just didn't happen. We see that too often with the Packers. The Saints are good enough to get there unless they have their heart ripped out and shown to them like they had each of the last three playoffs. How about the Buccaneers? Right. The only guy to beat Patrick Mahomes in the postseason yeah. was Tom Brady. And if the and I think the Buccaneers are suited to go to Green Bay and win in the postseason if they have to. They beat the crap out of the Packers during the regular season. The Buccaneers and the Chiefs could be the closest matchup if it comes down to those two teams versus any of the other teams in the NFC that would make it, assuming it's the Chiefs representing the AFC, Shereen. I just keep wanting that offense to do more. I, I want him to throw to Mike Evans more, and, and it's just it just doesn't seem to be there totally on offense. And maybe it's coming. Maybe we're going to see the time of year when they finally get that offense going, uh, and I hope so. But uh, they, I expected them to be better than what they are right now. I didn't think they would have five losses. Let me give you one more to consider. As we celebrate what was the best Monday night game since Chiefs-Rams of 2018, what about Chiefs-Rams in the Super Bowl? There you go. Different than 2018, but could be a great game. That's it for today. We'll see you tomorrow with another edition of PFTPM.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.